following talk is from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk. Thanks for listening. Um, I've just returned um, from a 10-day trip to Turkey, which was a global gathering of uh, the New Frontiers family that we are a part of. And there's so much to say and so little time to say it in. but James and Hannah were with us for the second of the two conferences. We had two conferences. They were with us the second one. So James doesn't have anything else to do next week. So you can always go to him and ask him um, about the second half of the conference. It's just hearing really amazing things of God's doing down around the world. And we were really privileged because we had with us three gentlemen from China. And these three gentlemen um, are part of the Urban Underground Church. And they have a network, uh, the three of them represent this network, network of churches. And there are 10 million believers in this one little network in China, which is bigger than the population, the entire population of London. And it was amazing hearing people basically living in revival. They are estimating, listen to this, that there are 10,000 Chinese people to come to Christ every day. And they were actually saying to us, um, the, the actual born again rate is slowing down. I want to say, you poor things. How awful. It's only down to 10,000 a day. But I mean, there is something remarkable going on around the world. And we here tend to see things uh, reflected as we see things, but God sees the globe. And the amazing things he's doing. Uh, pray for us as we keep traveling in a bit of a busy traveling time at the moment. Next weekend, we are taking with us eight people from this church to Geneva in Switzerland, the capital of Switzerland, or at least not the capital, but it's a major city in Switzerland. And uh, we have a little church there that we're working with full of really fantastic people. And uh, it's called a Go Team. <laughs> and what we want to do a couple of times a year is send a Go Team from this church. And the aim is to go and to really encourage and to build up that church and help them with evangelism and just really encourage them. So that's uh, a group of us doing that next weekend. Now, I'm here today to continue the new series that we have begun, which is entitled An Honest Conversation About. And today... The the conversation, the honest conversation we're having is about death. And I'd just like to read to you this scripture from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 and verse 14. When the perishable puts on the imperishable and the mortal puts on immortality, then shall come to pass the saying that is written, death is swallowed up in victory. O death, where is your victory? O death, where is your sting? The sting of death is sin, and the power of sin is the law. But thanks be to God, who gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. When we came to discuss this series of an honest conversation about and it came to the subject of death, the team of us were talking, and they felt that I was most qualified to talk on this particular subject, presumably because they all think I'm going to experience this earlier 
than the rest of the team. So the old guy gets to talk about death. So here we go, an honest conversation about death. And right at the outset, here's the problem. In our culture, there is no conversation about death, let alone an honest one. It is said that the Victorians spoke all the time about death and never talked about sex. This is going to get your attention. Our generation talks all the time, besotted with sex, and never talks about death. To the extent that when I looked at the list of an honest conversation about these subjects, sex gets two weeks. <laughs> and my little subject of death only gets one. It's the big taboo subject, isn't it? If you can have a conversation with somebody and say, let's, let's have a conversation about death, I tell you, sooner or later they're going to say, can we just change the subject? People get really awkward talking about what's going to happen in their lives. People don't like to talk about death. As if, by not talking about it, the problem will somehow go away. Why is this? Let me give you two or three reasons why this is a problem in our society. I think humanism, secularism, atheism has drip, 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 drip fed people, saying there is nothing beyond the grave, there isn't any purpose in life or death, and therefore you can't know what happens when you die, so what's the point of talking about it? The problem is, you'll see this morning, that we do know what happens when we die. You can know what happens when you die, because the Bible makes these things very clear. I think the second reason is probably this. We love to be in control of everything, don't we? We live in a society where the mandate is, I am God, there is no other God, therefore I have got complete control of my life. I decide when I'm born. Actually, you don't. I decide when I die. Actually, you don't. But we love to be in control. We are God. And death is a problem. It opposes because I never know when it's going to happen. I don't know how it's going to take me. Actually, the fact that I'm the old guy talking on death is a little bit strange because death can happen to anybody at any time. And so, and so we can't control it. I mean, it's really strange earlier in this year, 2016, a whole load of celebrities died as if celebrities don't die. David Badiel, who's a, an author and a comedian, when... David Bowie died, he tweeted, Death, I hate you. You keep robbing me of all my friends. Well, there's truth in that. But he was offended because we, are, we control death. We want death to be something that we have control of. Maybe um, a third reason why we don't talk about it is we no longer know how to handle it. If you ever had a conversation, sometimes you see it on the TV, someone's lost someone, they start to talk about it, and they start crying, and they say, I'm so sorry, please excuse me. Why? Well, it's because we don't know how to handle our emotions when it comes to death. Uh, this phenomena of putting flowers in a place where someone's died is like, to me, an, a, a, a yearning to express how I handle this. There is no God, therefore we eulogize the person that's died. We put flowers we live in a very strange world 
where death isn't spoken about in the hope that it will go away. So we've removed it from our conversation. But it still happens. And we, of all people, we need to give the, keep the conversation going. I'm hoping that from today, many of us have conversations with people. And when they say, you know, I'd rather not talk about it, we say, well, can we talk about it a little bit more? <laughs> Just to try and engage and keep the conversation going. I think it takes a very, very brave man, or maybe a complete fool, to stare death in the face and say, I don't care. Let me give you three objections. We're having a conversation. Is that okay? That's what this is about. Let me give you three objections to this whole concept of how we've removed death. First is this. My first objection is this. There is an inbuilt yearning for something beyond this life that I believe is in all human beings. Even the atheists. There is an intuition. So I would ask questions of people, so if there's nothing in it, why do we fear it? Because everyone is afraid of death. And if you're someone that doesn't, your answer is, well, nothing happens, we just get buried in the ground and that's it. Then is that a comfort for you to know that? I think the second objection I have is this. There just has to be more to life than this. I'm not completely sure, but I don't think animals sit around debating is there life after death. Humans do. And I would argue that there's a God-given longing for eternity that gives meaning to this life. I don't know what you were like as a teenager, and I might have been a bit strange, but when I was, because I was raised in a Christian home and I completely rejected Christianity, didn't want anything to do with it. When I was 16 or so, I started to think a lot about death, and the reason was because I was trying to find the meaning of life. So as a 16-year-old, I wasn't morbid, I was quite a fun guy, really, but I, I just often found myself, as I think many people do, thinking about this. I just couldn't ignore it. And actually, in Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 11, it says, God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. God has placed eternity in the hearts of men. Every man, I'm not talking about Christians now, every person you chat with, everybody you meet in society, you've got to remember this, when they talk about death and they don't want to talk about it, God has placed eternity in their hearts. There's this longing beyond this life. There has to be more meaning to life than just this life. And the third thing is this, it's going to happen. The third objection is whoever you are, you can't stop death. The aging process is inevitable despite our cosmetic surgery. Cosmetic surgery doesn't halt death, it just makes you look a bit weirder than you did beforehand. (laughs) So my appeal to all of us is Because it's going to happen to everybody, talk about it. We're having a conversation about death. It's got to come back on the agenda. It's going to happen. It's a a massive issue. I would say this. So the two biggest questions in life that anyone can ask is, one, what happens when I die? And two, can I know now? So, you know, that's an important thing now. I mean, if you could know now what's going to happen when you die, that would be an amazing thing. If you're not a Christian here this morning, I think the biggest issue 
that you face is the, is the issue of death and what happens. And if you're a Christian and you have a view of death and you know now what's going to happen, it should affect everything in the way that you live. So what happens when I die? There's the question mark. What happens when I die? I'm here to tell you that the Bible, despite what all these other people say, the Bible is very clear. And so everything I'm about to tell you are not my words. They're the words of Scripture. They're God's words. They're what God says about death. So everything that we believe as Christians is not based on how we feel. It's based on truth. It's based on facts. I find when I'm in conversations with people about death, they get all very strange about how they feel. You know, a sportsman will win an Olympic gold or something, and their father died or something a year before, and they'll say, I'm sure I've got a feeling that he's looking down on me right now and smiling. People use all these terms, you know, factual people, then you'll get very sentimental and weird. I'm sure they're, they're laughing at me. How do you know they're laughing at you? It's all feelings. There's nothing rooted in truth. What we believe about death is not about feelings. It's really rooted in truth. And can I just say this? It's important. What happens when I die? That question is answered, and it all depends on the issue of sin. That scripture I just read to you from 1 Corinthians chapter 15 says, Oh death, where is your victory? Oh death, where is your sting? And verse 36 says, 56 rather says, The sting of death is sin. So sin and death are obviously connected. And if you can get rid of the sin issue, then that gives you an answer about what happens to you when you die because you deal with sin, you deal with the issue of death. Romans chapter 3 and verse 23. For all have sinned. So sin is a problem we all have. For all have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. In other words, all have sinned, therefore all will die. Romans 6 verse 23. For the wages, the results, the penalty, the wages of sin is what? But the free gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus our Lord. And so what happens when I die all has to do with the issue of sin. The consequences of sin is death. So the sin problem must be answered. We die not just because we get old, but because there is a penalty. There is a result of sin in our lives. When Jesus came and lived on earth and then died the death, he he died on the cross. He was dealing with the sin problem that would then affect your and mine eternity to do with death. Is this making a noise? Shall I take it off? Is this because you did something to it's it? It's probably my fault. Blame me. How's that? No. Maybe it's dying. Maybe it's dying? <laughs> you said that. It's full of sin. <laughs> so when Jesus, whoa, when Jesus came to the cross, 
He was dealing with the issue of death because when his blood was shed, his blood, it's the front row playing now with, so his, when, his, when his death occurred and his blood was shed, he was dealing with the issue of death because the blood of Jesus can forgive sin and can eradicate sin entirely. Jesus had no sin. Therefore, he had no wages, no penalty, no results. Therefore, death could not hold him. So when Jesus dies on the cross and his blood is shed, not only does it forgive you for your sins and eradicates your sin, it conquers death. Because at that moment, Jesus died. He dealt not only with his own death, because he was raised again three days later, but also dealt with the issue of your eternity and my eternity. If you are in Christ when you die, the sin problem has been dealt with. Do I hear anybody responding to that? If you die in sin, then that has consequences as well. And your eternity is defined by whether or not when God looks at you, he sees just sin, which has never been dealt with. Or when he looks at you, he sees sin covered by the blood of Jesus, which means the sin problem is no longer relevant, which is why you are now welcomed into eternal life with him forever. It is about having faith in the work of the cross and in Jesus himself. So John 6, these are wonderful words. Jesus is speaking, he says in John 6, 39 to 40, and this is the will of him who sent me, that I should lose nothing of all that he, the Father, has given me, but raise it up on the last day. For this is the will of the Father, listen to this, that everyone who looks on the Son and believes in him should have eternal life. Hallelujah. And I will raise him up on the last day. So come on, let's, let's keep this conversation going. The Bible says, we're asking the conversation about death, the first thing that happens when you die is that you face judgment. You face a wonderful, fair, godly, loving, righteous judge. Those are the names given to God. He is our judge. And when we die, he will judge us. And the judgment will be all about the sin issue. Being a good person throughout this life is irrelevant. It doesn't matter how good you've been. It's not relevant because the only relevant issue that is being judged is not your goodness. As if I think a lot of people in England think I've lived a good life and if there is a God and I face him and he's my judge, I'll persuade him. God will not be persuaded by your goodness. It's not relevant. The thing is, does he see sin? And if you've been freed from sin, that will affect your eternity. If you've not, then that will affect your eternity as well. Which is why people on their deathbed who have been dreadful sinners all their life and put their faith in Jesus and the finished work of the cross genuinely by faith, that one moment affects their entire eternity. It's transformed. 
So this conversation about death is this. Let's all be clear. We all go on after we die to face judgment, and then we will all live eternally. The question is, where will we live eternally? So I'm going to take the plunge, and I'm going to talk to you for a few moments about hell. And hell is a topic that very rarely do people talk about, even Christians. We're really embarrassed about this. So we just don't have a conversation. We're having a conversation about death and we ignore hell. How weird is that? But we often do because we just feel terribly uncomfortable. Today people say, well, you people used to believe in hell. It's a medieval issue. No, it's not. It's a biblical issue. It goes way, way back beyond the Middle Ages. It's timeless. Can we really believe in a God of love allowing people to go to hell? People will be very offended if we tell them that. Do you know why they're offended? Because what we're telling them is true. You get offended because there's some truth in what someone's talking to you about that causes you offense. God is loving. God is merciful. Absolutely. But God is also righteous and holy and uncompromising. How could a God that is holy and knows no sin allow sin to come into his presence? And if people die in their sin, you cannot, cannot, get clear on this, enter the presence of God. And so therefore hell is a real physical place where people go when they get judged for their sin. Let me offend you all this morning. Good people go to hell. Because it's not their goodness that's the issue. The issue is their standing before God on the issue of sin. If people die in their sin, that is what happens. This is a conversation. Let me very quickly say, therefore, biblically, some things about the doctrine of hell. First is this. Just because we don't like to talk about it or even like it does not mean it is not real. We are in huge danger these days of allowing people to die without telling them this. Even evangelicals in the UK today, and we may include ourselves in this, who love the gospel, who love to talk to people about Jesus, are embarrassed and compromised on the issue of the doctrine of hell. As if somehow it's no longer real. God's become more tolerant. Is this still on? Or is it going again? No? God is somehow as the years go, die, go by getting nicer. He's becoming a 21st century God. Some people say to me, well, if I was God, I wouldn't judge people like that. I'm so grateful you're not God. I don't want to be judged by you. I want to be judged by a God who does know everything and is absolutely loving and he will judge you because of his love, but he'll also judge you because of his righteousness. God hasn't become more tolerant of sin. or God doesn't become a compromised God. Because for God to say, oh, forget about it, everyone gets saved. Come on, you can all come in after all. That would be like God compromising on the issue of sin. It makes no sense whatsoever. This is why people need to know there is a place other than heaven 
where they will go when they die because they're judged. Jesus spoke, listen to this, Jesus spoke more about hell than he spoke about heaven. It's a real physical place, folks. It's an eternal place. And uh, Jesus never lied about anything. He is the truth, the way, and the life. I believe Jesus. I don't think he'd lie about this. I absolutely believe that it is true. I'll give you a couple of examples from Scripture. There are many of them. Mark, Matthew chapter 10, verse 28, Jesus says, And do not fear those who kill the body, but cannot kill the soul. Rather fear him who can destroy both soul and body in hell. Mark 9.43, and if your hand causes you to sin, cut it off. It's better for you to enter life crippled than with two hands to go to hell, <coughs> to the unquenchable fire. And if you continue to read that, they, that scripture in Mark chapter 9, he refers many times to hell on what it's like. We need to talk about this. And we talk to people about hell, presumably highly offended, but we talk about it with compassion. We talk about it with love. I come from a background where there used to be preachers that always used to preach, well, you're going to hell. If you can say that with a Belfast accent, it's really got anointing. But the reality is, you don't talk to people about that. Jesus never talked like that. We talk to people with genuine compassion. Listen, folks, here's the most amazing thing. We all deserve hell the wonder is not how can a god of love allow people to go to hell but rather how possible is it that any human being could ever be allowed to enter heaven we can't make ourselves good enough to enter heaven only he can do it through his grace and his mercy and he can do that for anyone who believes in his name and trusts in him a couple more things about hell hell is a deterrent what do I mean by that? Well, if there's no such place as hell, then what's the point of anything, let alone salvation? It is there to stop you going there. It is there that there might be an opportunity of grace to believe that you might not, to believe that your sin might be forgiven and eradicated. The final thing about hell is this, there's an urgency. And I think as Christians, we need to redeem that sense of urgency. Jesus didn't go around thumping everybody with hell. He spoke about grace and mercy and God's love and forgiveness. But he wasn't embarrassed to tell people about hell as part of the package. It's interesting to me that in times of revival, when you read about revival in history, there's always a remarkable awareness of sin and an amazing awareness of hell. I believe that we need to preach the gospel, share the good news of Jesus without compromise. The, the sin issue def defines where you're going to go for eternity. Here's something else that happens when you die. If your sin has been dealt with and you're a child of God, then there is the promise that you will now have eternal life and that you will not go to hell, but you will go to heaven and you will be with God forever we all know this verse but I'm gonna say it anyway John 3 16 for God so loved you the world that he gave his only son for you that whoever believes in him should not perish but have 
eternal life. That's the sin problem dealt with right there and then. That's why you don't have to go to hell and you can be with him for eternity. The promise received by faith is eternal life. So when Christians die and face judgment day, and we all will be judged for the lives that we've lived, the one thing that won't be on the agenda is sin. Because it's already been judged, the verdict has already been given, and you have life eternal. Hence, when you die as a Christian, there is hope. Actually, it's celebration. I find funerals of Christians rather strange because I totally get that we who have left behind are really sad. We've missed our friend. It's a terrible thing. We feel even pain. I felt terrible pain pain a number of years ago when one of my best friends died of a heart attack at the age of 50. I mean, it was, I just sobbed. But it's strange that the only person in the room that this is all about is actually rejoicing and actually is in heaven and actually is just rejoicing and experiencing eternal life. Everlasting joy. I love that phrase. For those who've gone before us. <clears throat> so what happens when you die as a Christian? 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 4. For while we are still in this tent, which means our body, we groan, being burdened, not that we should be unclothed, but that we, should, we would be further clothed, <coughs> so that what is mortal may be swallowed up by life. Here you are as a Christian, and the Bible says your outer body is wasting away, but the inner man is being renewed. And you're walking towards the end of your life. And you're getting slower. <clears throat> and this life is coming to an end. Now look at that phrase that I've just read to you. Because it says that the Christian, when you die, you get swallowed up by what? Life. You see, death has already been taken. It's all already been tasted. I'm not looking forward to the process of dying, but death is going to be wonderful because I get swallowed up by life. And it's as if there's this huge wave, the biggest wave, the surface wave, coming towards you, inevitably. And one day when you die, you get swallowed up by that wave. This meaningless life comes to an end and you are overwhelmed by life itself. Folks, you've got to really grasp this. This life that you're living now, that you're breathing, isn't real life. It's passing. It's temporary. It's a bit meaningless. Ecclesiastes tells us that. <clears throat> it's uh, fleeting and temporary. <clears throat> it's cardboard. The next life is the real life. And your, your eternal life and your eternal destiny is transformed not on the day you die, but on the day that you are born again. When you are born again, the seed of eternity comes into your life, and with it comes assurance, and with it comes a knowledge that if you were to die today, rather than the 20 years or 30 or 40 years or 60 years later that some of you are thinking about, but if it happened tomorrow, that you know now that you will go and live with Jesus forever because you are now tasting of the age 
which is to come. Every Christian walking through this life should feel a little bit awkward because I don't really belong here anymore. I'm just passing through to this amazing, abundant life, this surpassing, amazing life that swallows me up that's about to happen. And that means this, that you and I can know now 100% without any doubt. I hope this is true of you today, right now. That you can know as a Christian beyond any doubt that you will go into eternal life the moment you die. Someone said you can't kill a Christian, you can only transfer one. I love it. You just slip into the next life. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 13. In him you also, when you heard the word of truth, the gospel of your salvation, and you believed in him, at that moment you were sealed with the promised Holy Spirit. He came into you. He's like a guarantee of the inheritance that you will require (coughs) possession of to the praise of his glory. Eternal life is in you now. You're now tasting of eternal life. There's something inside of you that longs to be with Jesus. I've quoted this quote before, but I just think it's so wonderful. Very quickly, a guy called Steve Travis once said this, Our hope of eternal life is not a matter of whistling in the dark. Because what we hope for, we already experience right now in part. The Christian longs for the life of heaven, not chiefly for what he now lacks, but as a fulfillment of what he already possesses. It's amazing. That, that should be in the Bible. We'll sneak it in somewhere at some point. It's so good. I'm only joking. If you're a Christian, death is not a huge chasm. Jesus took the chasm. He experienced the chasm for three days. And he took it away. If you're not a Christian here this morning, the chasm is huge. Which is why you go to the funeral of a Christian. And then the next day you go to a funeral of someone who's not a Christian. It's probably the biggest contrast you can ever experience in your life. What's your funeral going to be like? By the way, you're going to have one. Think about it. It's going to happen. One day, you're sitting here now, one day some people are going to be (coughs) at your funeral. (coughs) What is it going to be like? Full of hope or full of despair? One final scripture. Philippians chapter 1. Verse 20. Paul is in prison thinking about his life. It's my eager expectation, hope that I will not be at all ashamed, but that with full courage, now as always in Christ, will be honoured in my body, whether by life or death. For to me to live is Christ, and to die is gain. And then he kind of has a conversation with himself about about this subject. If I am to live in the flesh, that means fruitful labour for me, which yet which I shall choose, I cannot tell. I am hard-pressed between the two. My desire is to depart and be with Christ, for that is far better. But to remain in the flesh is more necessary on your account. It's kind of like a weird, do I really have to, oh, all right, I'll stay for you lot. Convinced of this, I know that I will remain and continue with you 
for your progress and joy in the faith. Paul makes this amazing statement. For me to live is Christ and to die is gain. We're still having the conversation about death. To die is gain. I think Christians are the only people I know who believe that. Why is dying gaining something? Well, here we go. Because when you die, you are with Christ forever. It is your home. Can you begin to understand? Paul says he understands far better to go to be with the Lord. Why? God's continual presence. That is better than anything that could ever happen on this planet. See, here we get glimpses of God's presence. We get glimpses of what it may or may. Sometimes you just get a, a kind of whisper of the presence of God. That's going to be forever, all the time. Incidentally, there is no time in heaven. So it's kind of like whatever the presence of God is, you just live there. To die is gain. Why is death gain? Because in heaven, there is perfection. I often think about this. We're all trying desperately to perfect ourselves and to perfect life and long for a perfect life. It's never going to happen this side of the grave. When you die, you go into whatever perfection is, you go into absolute perfection. To die is gain is because there is no longer a Satan. There is no longer temptation. There is no longer battling with sin because there is no sin. <clears throat> to die is gain because there are no wrong thoughts and you are in perfect harmony with everybody. To die and be with God means there's no sorrow, there's no defeat, there's no fear, there's no anxiety, there's no crying, there's no pain. You won't know what pain even feels like. There's no delay in anything. Listen up, there's no sickness, there's no weakness, there's no doubting anything anymore. And to die is gain because you get a new body. I mean, come on. Do you really want to live in this body for eternity? I don't think so. If I'm in heaven with you, I don't want to look at this body in heaven. I want to see your perfect body. A new body, a new home, treasures forevermore. And a church, I'm really looking forward to this, that is perfect. The bride of Christ. Perfected in all her glory. Some people say, well, the problem with heaven is it's boring. What a lie we've been fed. There are no harps. Oh, hallelujah. <laughs> there are no clouds to sit on. All these things are like childish, and, and I think just manipulates us to have wrong concepts. There'll be a new heaven. And there'll be a new earth for eternity. Sometimes people say, well, we don't talk about heaven because we don't know what it'll be like. Take a look around the earth. Imagine heaven on earth. You start to get an idea. You will be in heaven 100% fulfilled. You will be in heaven 100% occupied. 
to die is gain. And there should be in you, as there is in me this morning, a something saying, I can't wait to get there. PJ Smythe, friend of mine from South Africa, uh, five years ago faced serious death in terms of cancer. There's a huge percentage that he wouldn't survive it, but he did. And I heard him preaching years later on it. He said, I don't get this. What's this bucket list thing? He says, everyone says, if I had a bucket list, these are the 10 things I'm going to do before I die. You get to do all of them when you die. And a thousand times more. Forget your bucket. Most of us can't afford our bucket list anyway. Why have one? It's as if we're missing, we're missing. In heaven, you're going to get everything. So Paul says this. I'll finish with this. For me to die is gain. And to live is Christ. See, if you really believe what I've just said, and the Bible teaches, this conversation about death, that you'll face judgment, you'll have eternal life, and you'll gain everything then surely there's a sense in which that should affect everything that I live in. This temporal fading, why live for this when I've got that? Why give all my time and energy and money to this? It's just cardboard. It should make me live a dynamically different life because I've got eternity coming my way. Hallelujah. Paul's dilemma is, shall I go or shall I stay? I don't know which one to do. And there should be a little bit. I don't honestly think many of us are there. We'd much rather stay. But the reality is, that should get into us a little bit more. Some of you are near the end. <laughs> Seriously, generally, some of you are near the end. Look, you haven't got many more years left. I envy you. I'm stuck here with... Jesus rose from the dead. Death, the last enemy, was defeated on the third day. He has already gone before us. He is waiting for you. Is he waiting for you? Let's close our eyes. There's an appeal this morning, which I think one of my brothers might make. For those of us who are not Christians, to know today, absolutely, that if I die, I'll be saved from hell and I'll be in eternity. There's an appeal today for Christians. Stop being afraid of death. If you fear death and you're a Christian or you lack certainty, please get prayed for this morning. Please respond to appeals. And maybe for us as Christians, we can't embrace this. It still troubles us. I'd love you to go from here this morning with a new assurance in your heart. Amen. Thanks for listening to this talk from New Community. For more information about New Community, check out newcommunitychurch.org.uk.